Good? Check, check. All right. Happy New Year. This is Advent. It's the beginning of a new church year. Uh, we'll be hearing from the Gospel of Mark. This is year B, so we have A, Matthew, B, Mark, C, Luke, and then we have John all, up, all throughout. This is the first season of the new church year, so we have Advent as we look forward to the coming of Christ at Christmas and actually also the second coming. Then we have a season, a short season of Christmas. Then we have Epiphany, which is Christ's coming out party, I call it. Then we have the 40 days of Lent. It's actually 46 days on the calendar, but Sundays don't count, so it's 40 days. And then we have 50 days of Easter. And then we have a season of Pentecost, which is the longest season of the year. And we hear during this season from Isaiah, from John the Baptist, from Mary, and from others. And I, I thought it was interesting. When you look at Isaiah and you compare it with the Bible, Isaiah has 66 chapters. The first 37 is known as the Book of Judgment. The last the 39 are the Book of Judgment. The last 27 are the Book of Comfort. The Bible has 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. Interesting. The good news. So what I want to do is uh, I want to uh, talk to you this morning briefly about this reading from Isaiah. Brenda? Thanks be to God. The big idea is never give up on God because God never gives up on us. Isaiah was an 8th century prophet. He was, he was there. It was uh, troubled times. Everything nailed down was seemed to be coming up. There was false worship. There was Baal and Molech and Ashtoreth and all these foreign gods that were replacing, taking the place of the real God. They had internal confusion, external threats, division, Mark Israel in the time of Isaiah. In our day, we have lots of things that we've never experienced for before. You send your kids off to school, send them off to college, they come back, you don't recognize them anymore. 
They're like different people. Um, marriage, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one, seems like an old-fashioned tradition in our day. Um, politics, I long for the days when Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill would have an argument, and then they'd go have a beer. Those days seem to be over. Well, issues we thought we'd never face, proper pronouns. Um, I checked this out with Sherry DeGrenia this morning. She used to be a Border Patrol agent. Border Patrol agents are now told, do not address anyone coming across the border by a pronoun unless you know their preferred pronoun. Illegal aliens coming across the border have to be addressed by their preferred pronoun. It's like, really? Yeah, it's nuts. Um, the whole, the trans world, the, the Veterans Administration now recognizes 58 different genders. Family redefinition, uh, kind of whatever you want it to be. It used to be mom, dad, and the kids. I long for the days of Ozzie and Harriet. Father knows best. My three sons, I'm dating myself. Um, work, work ethic. Um, have you ever seen so many help wanted signs in your life as you see now? Hank Majowski, who comes here at the 8 o'clock service, um, he just received word from Honda up in Ohio, please come back, we need you as a machinist. That's where he used to work. And uh, he's 78 years old. And they want him to come back because they can't find people to do it. It's, different, it's a different world. Institutions are changing and really not for the better. Similar in some ways to Isaiah's day. Not the same issues, but sort of experiencing the new and the unknown. I can kind of relate to the way he might be feeling. Isaiah was working uh, for a 40-year period in what was the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes of, of Israel, and ultimately they were conquered by the Assyrians in 722 BC. He was, he was really working very hard to have people come back to God. They were over here, they were over here, they were up there and out there, and he said, you need to be right here. Please, come back to God, you have strayed so far, and this will not end well, and it didn't. And the Assyrians came in 722, and they took the best and the brightest, and they repopulated the place with the dredges that were left, with other dredges that they had brought in from other conquered territories. And this is the, the beginning of the Samaritans, the dreaded Samaritans. In 586, same thing happened to the southern kingdom of Judah, and they were taken away to Babylon for 70 years. And then they came back after a 70-year period, but God was silent for 400 years then. People asked if their plight was connected to their moral and ethical living. What does the future hold? Where is our hope? Who speaks for God? I think these are the sort of issues we're looking at today in the United States. In preparing this, I did come across something interesting, I thought, um, the Roman Empire had been around for a long, long time, and there were four things in place that happened right before the fall of the Roman Empire. Number one, their borders were collapsing. The borders were porous, and they had lost control of their borders. The military was unpredictable, um, and I think it's a different military than I was in it. From, I was in from 70 to 90. That was over 30 years ago, but it's a very different um, thing. Our son is a captain in the Navy right now, and, and he'll tell you that as well, as they, as they highlight diversity, uh, inclusion, and all that sort of thing. 
and when the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is asked by a Senate hearing, what is the greatest threat or the greatest challenge to the military today? And he says, white rage. And I'm scratching my head thinking, okay, what is that exactly? But this is what the chief guy thinks. So the military was a little iffy then. Um, the morals were changing for the worse. And then an interesting thing, athletes were put up on a pedestal. They were seen as just godlike. And it, it hit me. Um, back in the day in the 50s, there was a kicker for the Cleveland Browns named Lou Groza. Anybody remember Lou Groza? He was probably one of the best kickers in the league. He was making $10,000 a year, $10,000 a season. These guys all had, had to have jobs in the offseason to support their family because they didn't make a lot of money. Aaron Judge is a player for the New York Yankees. You may have heard of him. He's the captain of the team. After the 2022 season, he signed a new contract. Nine-year contract for $360 million, $40 million a year. If he plays 162 games and bats four times every game, every time he gets up to bat, he's making $61,000. And this past season, he fouled a ball, a ball off under his foot, so he sat out most of the season, but he still got paid, no problem. It's this, the, the value system. I talked to my son not too long ago, and he said, I said, how are Vicky and Grace? Oh, they're on their way back from Philadelphia. I said, what was up in Philly? He said, well, they went to a Taylor Swift concert, $1,000 a ticket to hear Taylor Swift. The value system that we have today is warped in some ways. I remember in seminary in Ambridge, the Pittsburgh Steelers were there, and I don't care if it was 30 below zero, if it was game day, there wasn't an empty seat. You just went to the game, didn't matter. I don't know, Mabel. A little cloudy out there. I think we better not risk it and go to church today. It might rain. Better stay home. But if you had tickets to the game, you're going to the game. Absolutely. So Isaiah steps into this situation. He says, here I am, Lord, send me. And in chapter 64, Isaiah cries out to God to heal Israel. And some say it's the most powerful lament in the Bible. People are despondent. Temples in ruins as God deserted them. These are God's people who are crying out. It's an anguished cry of desperate people. No more polite conversation, please. Tear open the heavens, come down, show yourself now. And I don't know if you've ever prayed and felt God was far away or stood behind, beside the bed of someone in great distress and you're grieving but you don't feel God's presence. He really is there. He's just hard to see. And right now in this congregation, there are people who are dealing with um, very, very serious issues and problems in your life. People that you love are hurting. And I want you to know that God is present, God is active, God is real, and God is there. Even when you're, you don't sense him, he's still there. People in the Bible wrote these words. God didn't always seem close to them. These are folks hurting and calling on God. From the depths of despair and hope that God will respond. He does respond. It took 700 years after Isaiah, but in Matthew 3.16, we have the baptism of Jesus. He comes up out of the water, the heavens part, the dove descends, the voice speaks, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He comes, he arrives, he's on the scene. And John 3.16, 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. The people had turned their backs on God. Sin had become habitual. They knew they were unworthy. And good works were like filthy rags. That's where that phrase comes from. In, in the RSV it says polluted garments, but it's really filthy rags. And I do a demonstration in a funeral service where I'll have a, a sinner here and God here and Jesus here. And one of the things I say is when God looks at the sinner, unrighteous, unholy, and unacceptable, and maybe at some point in their life the sinner says, I should, I should do some things that are good so God will like me. And I can be rest, reconciled with God. I'm going to go to church, I'm going to say my prayers, I'm going to read the Bible. I'll even give money to the church. If the purpose of those good things, and they are good things, is to reconcile you with God, they fall at the feet of God like filthy rags. They have no value at all, worse than no value. Because the only way we can be reconciled with God is through the perfect sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That's it. That's all it is. Recognition of this is a sign of a contrite heart. We call for mercy, not judgment. We come to verse 8. And yet, and they call out yet. Yet, God, you are, the, you are the potter. We're the clay. You are our father. Please do not abandon us. Please do not walk away from us. Even after we have done what we have done, please be merciful to us. And I find, in a way, I, I, I think in America today, God's people are crying out, be merciful to us. Help us to be whom you have called us to be as the body of Christ, the ecclesia, to stand up, find our voice, make a difference in the world. Not wring our hands and say, oh well, I guess there's no hope, what's the use? This is what the enemy wants us to do. God does not want us to do this. God wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be working together to make a difference. But here's something that I came across, and I'll end with this. In the Josiah Manifesto, which is Jonathan Kahn's latest volume, and it really hit me. It really went. It was a wake-up call. It says, if the righteous seek only to change the outward structure of culture, laws, institutions, and systems, their efforts will be undone. If one changes laws without changing hearts, the changed laws will be changed back by the unchanged hearts, meaning in a different administration. If we put all of our hopes on an election and we elect people that we like, that's great. Changes will occur, but if somebody else comes in in four years or eight years that doesn't have the same viewpoint, the worldview that we have, all of that just goes away. It takes changed hearts to make the difference. In order to revolutionize the world, one must revolutionize the heart. And to revolutionize the heart requires the power of God. Change the heart and the world will change. We need to be in prayer for a revival. A revival powerful movement of the Holy Spirit in our land that will sweep people up. I see what's happening down in Nicaragua. I see what's happening. You're going to see some pictures in El Salvador. 
Kathy was, Eleanor was down there Friday and Saturday night, just two nights ago, with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. You'll see a picture of a young man and somebody's holding his crutches that he doesn't need anymore. Hearing is restored. Sight is restored. God is moving in a very powerful way. They're going to get back Sunday, today, and Tuesday they're going to Argentina. Because God is saying, now, here, right? It's, it's happening. And I'm praying that that movement sweep of the Holy Spirit shows up in the United States of America and that God's people will be receptive to it. Because God has not given up on us. We should not give up on him because he has not given up on us. I really believe that he has a future for this country that we haven't seen yet. Because I believe the world needs this country to be strong, to be faithful, to be true. And we can always count, no matter what happens, on the goodness of God. So the miracle was that at 8 o'clock, people were actually singing that song. Don't give up on God. He never gives up on us. Amen.